content warning for incest, drugs, violence, and the end of the world. Action! Excitement! Horror! Romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. flesh, and the long hair which flows below his shoulders is milk-white. From the tapering beautiful head stare two slanting eyes, crimson and moody, and from the loose sleeves of his yellow gown emerge two slender hands, also the color of bone. A sorcerer, a warrior, heir to the throne of a dying race, a monster plagued by conscience, stealer of souls, prince of ruins, destroyer of worlds, the Stormbringer, Elric VIII, King of Melniboni. <laughs> oh, on this show, we're taking a look at one of the strangest fantasy protagonists in all of pulpdom. Created by Michael Moorcock in 1961, Elric has left a significant mark on pop culture, but while popular in genre circles, he remains a bit of a cult figure, at least here in North America. I'm Adam, as always, with me is Phil. Hello. Hello. Uh, and so you had never read Elric before no, this, right? No, no, yeah. I had barely heard of him actually right uh before you mentioned him so right and uh it seems he had a big impact on lots of stuff that i do right read and look over so that that was really cool yeah yeah that's the thing about elric it's that he's he is definitely i think it's partly because it's british i think it had mm -hmm. more of a splash in british whereas in america north america we got the stuff that was influenced by elric more yeah. than we got elric himself and that was the the stuff that kind of uh kind of leaked over into our uh into our cultural consciousness but there's a ton of stuff we will talk about it obviously but we've got a ton of stuff that uh was influenced definitely dungeons and dragons was influenced by him yep. um just pulp fantasy in general a lot of it uh, a lot uh, of comics occultism usually, occultism uh music even which is kind of interesting uh mm -hmm. he ha he's had a big uh, over, uh, overlap in the music scene. Uh, so anyway, so, and I do want to say just right at the start here, um, you know, I've read, I'd, I'd read a bunch of, uh, the Elric stories. I have, I've still not read everything with Elric in it. Uh, neither, n neither of us have because Elric, Moorcock is, Michael Moorcock, the creator of Elric is one of the most prolific pulp writers, uh, of all time. He's probably the last real, like, pulp ethic writer the guy who has the pulp ethic yeah and uh he, he's he um he's written tons of stories that mention elric that tie into elric it's like trying to read every marvel comic between the mid the 60s 1960 and 1970 um if you're trying to follow everything with elric and there's like he came back to him later i literally just found out a week or two ago that he had stuff that he'd published in the 2000s with elric uh which i didn't know about 
so uh, I'm coming from this from kind of a perspective of um, we <laughs> we're we're kind of exploring the world of Michael Moorcock and this and you know we'll probably do another Michael Moorcock show mm-hmm. later on. Jerry Cardales and just the whole concept of the eternal champion, which we will talk about. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also, he wrote a book that was apparently a pivotal modern steampunk book. I don't know if you saw that, Phil. Uh, yeah, it's called yeah, Warlord of the Air. Yeah. Because I know you're a steampunk fan. Um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. So that was apparently, that may have been, I'm not going to say definitively at this point, but it may have been sort of the the first modern attempt to do steampunk as opposed to actual 19th century oh, yeah, okay. uh, stuff. But uh, he, he seems to be kind of bitter about all the other st- people who wrote steampunk and yeah. <laughs> kind of biting his uh, style on that. Um, but anyway, so yeah, let's talk about Michael Moorcock. Um, he was born in London, England in 1939. Uh, Moorcock was apparently something of a wunderkind, as they say, uh, when it came to writing. Uh, he became an editor of a Tarzan fanfiction magazine called Tarzan Adventures at the age of 17. I don't think they would have called it fanfiction at the time. Uh, his magazine became the vehicle for some of his earliest stories. He then proceeded to become the editor of the Sexton Blake Library at the age of 19. And uh, Sexton Blake is uh, a character who's kind of a knockoff of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Phil was mentioning, has told me about Sexton Blake in the past. You, you still haven't read any of the actual Sexton No, Sex they're Blake hard stories. to come by. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few available, uh, and I haven't found any with... Um, um, Monsieur Zenith, which we'll talk about in this episode, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in it. So um, that's really disappointing because it seems really influential. Right. It's apparently terrible, but yeah. I mean... <laughs> well, I mean, it must have had something to it because people yeah. were... They were literally publishing it from the 19th century up until 1970 uh, with a whole array of different writers. Uh, the creator is a guy called uh, Henry Blythe, although his pen name was uh, Hal Meredith. Uh, that was 1893 they created him. Uh, but they just kept doing uh, Sexton mm. Blake stories. Uh, as... So, yeah, he's he's sort of the poor man Sherlock Holmes. He right. lived on Baker Street. He was a detective. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, he was, but he was more, uh, I guess he had more love interests and he had fast cars and that sort of thing. So right. sort of like bridging between Sherlock Holmes and James Bond, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I get the impression that, especially as it what left the Victorian era, he was a little closer to a pulp hero and even a superhero in some ways like Mm -hmm. he didn't have any superpowers or anything but he uh his villains are very much from what i've heard of them they're very super villain-esque yeah yeah he i there was a yellow peril villain who's like the leader of an order of evil orientals and Mm -hmm. yeah well and then of course one of his big villains um in uh is uh monsieur zenith who you just mentioned a minute ago um, and he seems to have been basically the most memorable of uh, Sex and Blake's characters, the one who gets mentioned a lot, and certainly the one Michael Moorcock uh, latched onto. Yep. Uh, he's a uh, he's an albino crime lord. Uh, he was created by Anthony Skeen, by the way. Uh, as I say, there were a lot of contributors to Sexton Blake. He's got one creator, but he, he ran for decades. Um, so he's decadent and sinister. He's a drug addict who indulged in crime for the thrill of it. Um, and that seems to have uh, been something that people locked, latched onto, obviously, when Moorcock was editing the magazine. Again, he was only 19 when he became the editor of that. Um, and his work appeared in a number of other magazines around that time, uh, edited by a guy called John Carnell, uh, including New Worlds. And that's the magazine which Moorcock eventually took over from him um, as the editor. Um, but he, he, you know, they obviously built a relationship. And uh, 
as is probably obvious by now, uh, Moorcock loved the classic pulp characters and wrote pastiches of many of them over his career. Uh, he started to write a Conan story when the magazine he'd been planning to pitch it to folded, uh, so he took the story fragment he'd written to Carnell, who told him to write something different, and Moorcock took him as literally as possible and wrote a story called The Dreaming City, which was published in Carnell's magazine Science Fantasy in 1961. The protagonist of this story, Elric of Melnibone, excuse me, uh, <laughs> it's a little tricky to pronounce. Yeah, I was pronouncing it Nel- Melnibone for until I uh, listened to one of the audiobooks that had an introduction from Moorcock, uh-huh. and it's Melnibone. Melnibone. El- Elric of Melnibone was an albino prince, the heir to the throne of uh, an advanced civilization that considered themselves superhuman but who had walked away from his birthright and the woman he loves, his cousin Cimarill, only to see both usurped by his other co- cousin Yerkun. Yerkun. Yerkun, okay. Yeah, it's, again, it's it's Y-R-K-O-O-N. Yeah, there's <laughs> so, a lot of names in this that mm-hmm. uh, are a little bit silly. Right. Well, and I mean, it's, it's he's, you know, I actually like that name. I think that's kind of a cool name. Yeah. Uh, but he's trying to create kind of a, an alien, sense of an alien culture. So the, it's kind of the Atlantean culture that you get where there's, oh yeah, there was this one great civilization that was ahead of everyone else mm. in a primordial time before history ever started and was recorded. Um, but obviously, as you can see, Elric is kind of the, uh, he was basically um, uh, Zenith the Albino as a fantasy hero. That was yeah. clearly the idea. And he becomes, um, you know, he's, he's, his big thing is that he has a sword called Stormbringer, which is uh, a black sword that sucks souls when he kills people. And that that power feeds back into Elric and makes him strong and powerful. And he's and addicted to it. And he's addicted to it. Yes, it's it's very it's very much a drug uh, metaphor. As Mister Zenith was apparently an opium addict, yep. and this is um, that he was a a sword addict, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, was on drugs before the sword because he he's an albino, so he's weak mm-hmm. and his blood is deficient and all that. So, well, that's what they keep saying. Yeah, so. yeah, no, in. Um, in yeah, he actually at one point in the story says this is a different kind of albinism than you would get in humans because Melnibonaeans don't consider themselves human. Yeah, they're not technically human. Right. Neither are the humans in the story, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But um, not addiction necessarily, but he needed them to sustain his strength. Right. Yeah. Before he had the sword, and then uh, there's a period in the stories where he gives up the sword, mm-hmm. uh, and which is a, a sign of him evolving as a person, basically. Yeah. Uh, that he, he gets married and he uh, loses the sword and he uh, starts using drugs to supplement his strength. Mm-hmm. Because without the sword, at one point he loses the sword, he can barely even walk. Um, yeah, and see, like he's almost blind. Right. I think the implication is actually supposed to be that he was actually a little better before he got Stormbringer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that because he's been using Stormbringer so much, he becomes completely useless without it. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, I I think that's the implication, but yeah, it's he's... Uh, uh, I mean... Uh, Moorcock made up a lot of it sort of as he went along. Uh, the Dreaming City was actually meant to be a one-off, apparently. Uh, he wrote it and just, you know, this is kind of a cool story. Uh, in this story, which is, you know, right from the start, it kind of defines the character. Um, he, he, he is a uh, merc- mercenary, I guess, uh, who t- teams up with a bunch of other pirates to destroy his own civilization, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, again, because uh, Irkun... Has uh, has usurped his civilization. Although when you go back, then later yeah, on, yeah, he, he was wrote... kind of dumb. He gave it up. He, like this guy <laughs> tried to take over his kingdom. Yeah, and then he says. 
then he defeats him and he says oh you can have it for a year yeah right and he expects to get it back after the year i don't know it, at, at first i throughout uh, the prequel i uh elric of melnibane i was expecting um uh it to be some sort of retcon but then they sort of tie it back at the end but it, right in a, the stupidest way possible almost right i mean the, the i did like these stories but that was kind of a little well, little hard to take i don't know yeah well wh- when i say um moorcock definitely has a uh pulp ethos uh like in the sense that he was insanely I, as i say he's insanely prolific he once claimed he'd written a novel in three days at one point and it was probably one of the elric novels he didn't say specifically which one it was mm-hmm. but he was grinding out stories left and right this is he was again just barely out of his teens uh in the early 60s and he was just cranking out stories nonstop, which was the old way of doing pulps right they had mm-hmm. to to write to stay alive and he he, um, he seems to have just basically written and I would not be hugely surprised if the Elric stories, the original run of Elric stories, there's about 10 of the original short stories, uh, were basically just first drafts. Uh, I don't think he went I back. I think he said that in the, in, cause, uh, the version, version I had, had some supplementary material from Moorcock mm-hmm. and he said he wrote the Elric ones really quickly. Right. And he spent a lot more time on non-Elric stories. Right, yeah, yeah. It sounds like he was... He, like, this was kind of him learning to be a writer, right? Mm-hmm. He was flexing his muscles as a as a kid. But And as a result of that, you get a lot of uh, stuff in the Elric stories where he's like, Elric was being attacked by a giant beast, but then he remembered he had a magic spell in his pocket. Uh, which... That, yeah, these beasts happen to be from Melnibane, created by Melnibaneans in the past, and yeah. they have a spell to control them, and right. Elric happens to just just then remember that and right and then he goes and then it's be but then he could only use it once and yeah. never again you know like it's it's very much just uh you know there you know not to not to, to be too snarky like i said he, he wrote them really fast but it was obvious it, he's kind of uh making it up as he goes along yeah <laughs> to uh, keep the plot more cock uh seemed to uh or i think you mentioned this as well but he described himself as uh, a bad writer with good ideas right and i wouldn't go that far like the the stories are not Mm-hmm. you know i have argon or anything no um but um yeah the the writing's a little bit clunky at times yeah just the prose right but it, great ideas just yeah really cool concepts and things yeah it's 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 and i mean even the writing just because there is so much weird stuff in these stories um like it's they're so imaginative yeah i feel like it does create a sense like you're kind of sucked into them of of a strange world that's not like our own and mm-hmm. that's very that's very heavy metal which we'll talk about in a, in a yeah. moment but it is it is you can see how it was a huge uh influence it's probably the bridge between like the old pulp writers you know penny award pulp writers and you know the stuff that was painted on the side of vans in the 1970s yeah. <laughs> because uh, morcock 100 percent would have encouraged that kind of stuff um, i also got some psychedelic vibes especially the right. um uh when the world's coming apart in the latter mm-hmm. uh, or the the early uh, novellas, the Stormbringer stuff, yeah, because um, um, chaos starts taking over the world. We'll get to this in later, I guess, but mm-hmm. chaos starts taking over the world and it changes everything, so it's all fluid and malleable. Right, right. And it it really felt like I don't know something out of like the last bit from 2001 a space odyssey or something like <laughs> yeah it's very there's a there's a lot of surrealism in the story mm-hmm. uh speaking of drugs i wouldn't be surprised if everyone involved was taking a lot of drugs yeah. it was the it was the 60s when these were being published and it's very much tying into that whole uh 
that whole uh, sensibility. Um, it's uh, as we're saying, it's it's very metal, and uh, Moorcock actually literally uh, worked with heavy metal bands, and not not just inspired them, but literally wrote lyrics for them. Uh, Hawkwind, which is a a metal band from I believe the seventies. Uh, and Blue Oyster Cult both had songs that he actually wrote for them, like the lyrics. Uh, and apparently, he had a band for a while as well. He was a he was a uh, he was in his own band. Um, but yeah, and and then uh, um, as I say, Blue Oyster Cult, they and Falk, Hawkwind both wrote songs about Elric, including I believe an entire album. Uh, in the case of Hawkwind, called um, Chron- I believe it was called Chronicle Chronicles of the Black Sword. Um, so yeah, it's about Elric. Um, so yeah, that whole he very much encouraged that whole mating of uh, heavy metal and fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's where that whole thing came from. Yeah, he he. Uh, so there's huge amounts of uh, influence on this. But anyway, just to go back to the beginning of uh, of Elric. So like I say, he he destroys his own. Uh, Civilization essentially mm-hmm. uh, by using because there are dragons underneath. Uh, oh yeah, her. that's uh, yeah, um, yeah. Very uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, um, like yeah. the Targaryen. Tal- How do you Targaryens? Yeah, Targaryens. Right. Yep. Um, sorry, uh, I I did watch the show for a bit and I read the first two books, but yeah, mm-hmm. and it's been a while. Yeah. Um, no, you're a hundred percent right. The Targaryens yeah, Targary- are absolutely yeah. based on Elric and, and uh, the the whole idea of dragon riding dragons and a and an ancient family that or an ancient race that uh, that conquered the world riding dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be from this. It's a hundred percent intentional that like uh, the Targaryens are the Melnibonians. They're essentially interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And uh, in like I say, Elric has uh, sort of goes after his cousin. I, which I think they've they they toned down in Game of Thrones. It's literally brother and sister. Yeah, and there's a sort of an incestuous uh, su- suggestion that the Targaryens would marry their brothers and sisters, yep. like a lot of ancient kings and and lords. And uh, that I think uh, Moorcock di- dialed it down a bit, um, but because he was he said explicitly he was going for Freudian uh, subtext. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Ircon uh, wants to marry her at one point. Right, says it. It's not unheard of, right? Exactly, and Ericone is literally uh, his her brother. Yeah. Uh, whereas uh, Elric is uh, her cousin, which makes it quote okay. Um, but of course, in a lot of ancient dynasties, that was the the, the way it was done. Uh, but yeah, he was going with a Freudian thing of like you're going to destroy. He doesn't literally. It's it's the Oedipal thing of you know you uh, kill your father and marry your mother. He doesn't literally do that, but he's lusting after a family member and he destroys a civilization. Mm-hmm. So that's the Freudian thing. And then he's also said that uh, Stormbringer the sword, who is essentially sentient by the way, the sword essentially yeah. talks to him and is kind of an kind of a satanic figure that tempts him to do bad stuff. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have a dialogue. No. But it sort of communicates with him. Right. Through yeah. feelings and that sort of thing. Yeah, he knows he can feel its malevolence in a lot of stories. Yeah. And it uh, it sometimes moves, mm-hmm. you know, like not moves on its own, but it sort of directs his his wrist right as it's moving around. Well, so yeah, yeah, and, and it actually it it in in fact you know we're going to spoil the Elric stories. I'm sorry. Um, he it kills his sister uh, yeah. or his his cousin. Yeah, uh, and kills a lot of other friends. It seems. Uh, it. it the stories repeatedly say that it lusts after the people Elric loves and mm-hmm. uh, his friends, and that's that's what it desires most. Right, it wants to kill the people close to him. Yeah, it's it's very much evil, uh, and so that was the that was his id basically, mm-hmm. uh, Elric's id, and then 
uh, the superego is just the fact that this the civilization of Meldabaneans are portrayed as very amoral. They're 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 sort of we're above humanity and its petty struggles. We can do whatever you want. Uh, in one story, at one point, again the flashback to when we see uh, what uh, Melnibane was like at its peak, they had a, um, a one of the more memorable images. He had a choir of humans that they'd taken and um, tormented their vocal cords so that each could produce one note perfectly. Um, oh, okay, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, yeah, and so they would sing this perfect choir and stuff. Like, and that was just, you know, people were there, meet to use as they want. And Elric's the one who kind of is starting to feel bad about this. <laughs> like, he, Yeah, he's still not a good person, but he's... But by the standards of his society, mm-hmm. he's like the only good person. Right. Yeah, he's he's the one who kind of goes, is this really what the way we should be doing things? So he's trouble, and he's seen as a weirdo because he has moral pangs of conscience, basically. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of why he gives up the throne, too, which is, I mean, y- you say it's kind of dumb of him to give to leave your coon in, in charge, but, I mean, the subtext is here going, Melda Benet is evil and should be destroyed basically <laughs> i first i want to get away from it and then i want to come back and destroy it because mm-hmm. it's a bad well it, place. it's sort of because uh even in the the prequels he sort of talks about uh he does think your cone is going to give up the throne once he comes back right and he plans to reform the place or something and yeah yeah it's a little bit uh like i said you know yeah yeah i i, I would say yeah i mean it's true that um if you just go on what's on the text, it's it's very much a sort of random occurrence. Yeah. But there is the subtext, which I think Moorcock was working from, of what happens when you find yourself in charge of an evil, decadent society, basically. Mm-hmm. How do you work with it? It's the, it's the you know, <laughs> the Matrix yes. <laughs> sensation of like, well, we can, you know, we have to, we can go along with this or we can just destroy it, basically. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that's that's sort of the, it's very easy to read that as that's what's been driving Elric, uh, is just that this conscience won't let him continue uh, running, being the king of Melnibone because it's it's evil and bad. Which is a, you know, it's, it's in again, it's a forerunner of a lot of modern you know, like modern TV shows are all about that, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's essentially what he what he goes through, and then he's he becomes the sort of very brooding hero in the in the story. Then the next story after that is called uh, "While the Gods Laugh," and uh, it's Elric seeking a book of knowledge that was left by the gods thousands of years ago. Um, and when and he he's fa- looking for answers for you know what what is the what is driving things right in it's, the universe? Yeah, it's a bit Lovecraftian of or Dunsinayan in, if you like, uh, where it's like, oh yeah, this has the answers to you know what's going on in the universe and where you know what why why people do things they do and why the gods made things the way they did. But then when he finds when he he fights his way through the caverns and everything to find this uh, book and picks it up and uh, it just basically crumbles to dust because it's so old, right? Yeah, it it actually reminds me of a much earlier story. Uh, Voltaire's uh, Micromiga, which is about a really giant, like, bigger than a mountain alien who comes to Earth and mm-hmm. has a conversation with some philosophers. And at the end, he gives them a uh, book that uh, contains the um, answers to the, you know, universe and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's blank. And the uh, philosophers look over, or one of the philosophers looks over and says, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> just because nobody the gods don't know what they're doing is the idea or, or just yeah. you know there is no you know right 
oh well that when you describe that i'm like uh, that makes me think moorcock knew that and probably used it as the basis of that oh story. i don't know it's because he's very well read he's definitely read all these kind of old uh, philosophical okay stuff and stuff. fair enough so I, I, i'm not sure yeah yeah well and, and it's funny because uh, you know again we weren't going to talk about jerry cornelius but uh jerry cornelius is literally just a uh rewrite of elric set in if like a james bond type uh, adventure in the modern day uh, but he's very clearly meant to be re- rehashing Elric's adventures uh, and in, in at one point he's going to find um, a book that was written by an astronaut uh, who went into outer space and went insane and came back because he'd glimpsed like you know the secrets of creation beyond the veil or whatever mm-hmm. and uh, when he finds the book it just says ha 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 ha, ha <laughs> over and over and over again or it's like no work at all work and no play makes Jack yeah. a tall boy uh, so, and that's his uh, no homage to that same thing with Elric um, so yeah and so speaking of which uh, so then that's the idea that um, uh, as I say Elric is very much the beginning of Moorcock's career uh, but he, as he pro- progressed, he had all these other fantasy type heroes and heroes in different genres. And he essentially, uh, jumped on something, uh, which he ended up calling the eternal champion, which is the idea that, um, there were, uh, you know, that essentially all his heroes, or at least most of his heroes are reincarnations of each other in different planes of existence. Yeah. Or, uh, avatars of the same sort of right. idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The avatar, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, avatars of um, you know, of of this eternal champion who keeps appearing to fight for good and against evil throughout the years. Um and so all his characters so he's got his other characters called uh And the see, eternal yeah. champion concept actually comes in fairly early in the uh right. in the novellas. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So that's that's not even something he added later like he started building that up fairly early on and well, what then I, expanded on it later. Yeah, I'd say he he wrote the the early Elric stories, uh, and I believe up to uh, the end of Stormbringer, which is the novel made up of four novellas that he wrote. Yeah, but which, it's in there. Uh, does he, does he mention the Eternal Champion yep. specifically? Okay. Yeah, he actually fights uh, Roland, <laughs> the the folk hero Roland, mm-hmm. uh, and it says that that's another aspect of the Eternal Champion that's also him. Oh, okay. Because um, he he, it does become way more explicit. Yeah, he yeah. Wrote, it he doesn't wrote... really explain what that means mm-hmm. uh, in the early stuff, but it is sort of brought up, so it was already something Morcock was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably it, because I believe, basically, Elric was his, quote, first character. Mm-hmm. And I think Stormbringer was, uh, let me see here... Yeah, 64, uh, he wrote Stormbringer, which is actually four novellas that eventually got fused into a novel. And this is something else about Elric, by the way. He went back and rewrote and reconfigured and did quote, what, what are called fix-up novels, which is when you kind of take short stories and patch them together into a novel. Uh, and they've been reconfigured a number of times, so it can be tricky to sort out what was the original story and oh, what, yeah. what's the remake okay. later. Um, but um, So it's possible that that, yeah, exactly, that may have been added later. Um, but... The um, but then anyway, so he wrote those stories, and you know, again, spoiler alert: it does end with Elric dying, and basically the entire world being destroyed. Uh, yeah, under a by Elric's hand. Yeah, pa- well, uh, I mean, he's partly responsible. It's the Elric. It's the but it's, the chaos. it's presented as a good thing, though. Right. Exactly. It's uh, basically yeah. Uh, hum- this whole well, world... we should get into order and or law and chaos here. Right. Um. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah, the, the central idea of, or the central sort of mythology of this story mm-hmm. is that there's two opposing forces, 
right. more than good and evil. These are above good and evil. Right. And it's law and chaos. Mm-hmm. And if you play Dungeons and Dragons, right. they ripped off Elric. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, it, and like that's um, in early, uh, some early Dungeons and Dragons books, I think Advanced um, actually had some of the uh, Dukes of Hell from Elric's stories actually oh. in the stories. And they later had to remove them for copyright reasons. <laughs> and uh, Moorcock is apparently a little bitter about uh, the whole... Right. Well, isn't that like Dungeons & Dragons? Didn't they literally have hobbits at one point and they had to change them they, to halflings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're still around, but yeah, they're halflings. Right, exactly. But yeah, no, it's clearly... The reason that you have not just good and evil alignments, but also law and lawful and chaotic, is almost certainly because of Elric. Oh, definitely. Uh, as as we found out, uh, they're literally using the sigil of chaos that uh, Morcock came up with. Yeah, yeah. Um, which... Uh... I was going to get into this as well. Uh, actual chaos magic that's really practiced in mm-hmm. in the world um, uses variations on that symbol. Mm. Uh, a more popular one is actually um, uh, asymmetrical, so the arrows are different lengths. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, this is a symbol of. It's basically like an asterisk with arrows going out in every direction. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like uh, the um, uh, e pluribus anus thing from uh, <laughs> from a community. community. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, uh, when I, I saw that pointed out that that might be a variation on that, it's sort of, hmm. that's all I can think of. <laughs> well, there's an unusual uh, influence we weren't expecting, a thing that was influenced by Elric. Possibly. <laughs> but uh, it, it that symbol has shown up on a bunch of places. I think I listed some there. It shows up on um, uh, an episode of My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, apparently. <laughs> okay. Wikipedia says that. It was on, it was on a Chaos Agent staff or oh, something. Oh, yeah? Okay. I, I stopped watching that, that after because yeah. the fandom, but uh, yeah. um, it was I liked it early on, but the fandom just got too toxic. Yeah, of I course. mean, obviously. Um, but it, it also showed up. Uh, uh, but it has shown up in in various places. It's... Oh, oh! Uh, I thought of the other one. Uh, haven't seen this show, but apparently, uh, Sleepy Hollow uses it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's tattooed on a chaos person's arm or something. Right. And I remember, I didn't play Dungeons & Dragons, but I played a thing called Fight, Fighting Fantasy, uh, which was popular more in the UK and Canada. I don't think it really got to the to, to the US. Uh, and that was a series of like solo game books, but they had dice. And, there were some way between Dungeons & Dragons and Choose Your Own Adventure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they at one point did mention that that was the Sigil of Chaos as mm-hmm. well, the, the, the branch. There are apparently Elric, uh, like actually licensed Elric role-playing games. Mm. Um, just thought I'd mention that. Did Moorcock, like, contribute to them at all? Or uh, did he... I'm not sh- uh, Apparently he had a falling out over creative differences on one of them, and oh. they, so that's why one company lost it, lost the rights, and another got them, so oh, okay. I'm not sure what the deal is with those, <laughs> but they're, it's, so there is actually official stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, getting into role-playing games seems like a very Moorcock thing to do, from what I know about yeah. him. He's he's not shy about delving into... And again, he's very, um, you know, he's got literary ambitions, but he's really not afraid of, like, uh, you know... Uh, pop culture and 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 popular stuff. You know, th- uh, this is something that might become a bit of a theme throughout the shows as we do them. Uh, but I am always very fascinated at how lines can blur between you know pulp and like the the lowbrow literature and the highbrow literary stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's definitely like he just by virtue of doing so much and influencing so many people and tr- and trying so many things. He's definitely been a bit of a bridge uh, between. Uh, you know the pulp stuff, which is. But I, uh, I, you mentioned uh, um, 
You have a theory that uh, David Bowie's Thin White Duke character is based on Elric? Yeah, I, I, I've never seen this actually confirmed, and I actually got uh, uh, some people pushing back on this against uh, against me on the internet when I brought it up. But I, I'm I'm still quite convinced that the Thin White Duke, uh, David Bowie's persona, is a nod to Elric because the name. And then the character, if you know anything about the Thin White Duke character, is he's a decadent Hollywood uh, drug addict who, you know, uses people. And it, like it's it it fits Elric if Elric was like a, a guy in Hollywood, basically. <laughs> that mm. seems to be the idea of the also, Thin White Duke. Also, uh, Adam Warlock from Marvel Comics yes. is apparently directly based on him. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, he's yeah. very, but he's also draws from bowie so it's sort of right interesting but that... but no he's definitely yeah like elric not just bowie but like it, he's he's got golden skin instead of being an yeah. albino but, but he it's... has a he has the soul gem you know the the infinity stones right but he's got the soul one on his forehead yes um and uh he's you know sucks souls and yeah, that yeah. Sort of thing. and he's very like the the recurring thing with elric and all the characters he inspired is that they're very uh mopey and um and brooding and brooding and and self pitying and and mm-hmm. kind of jerks uh you know they de- generally do the heroic thing but they're not um you know they're always like what 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 is the good of fighting against evil it de- evil just keeps coming you know that kind of yeah. thing um, um and i Warlock i thought um i thought elric was very much felt like an anime character <laughs> like right. before anime yeah uh, and apparently inspired uh i'm not really into anime much but um just by virtue of not knowing much about it, but right. uh, apparently there are some uh, direct nods. Like it has directly influenced a lot of anime. Like there's uh, Full Metal Alchemist actually has a character named Elric or something. Right. Yeah. No. There's it's so obviously, and as we were saying, the new Castlevania show that's out, uh, Alucard is basically just straight up Elric. I mean, there's he's a yeah. Vamp- I drew an anime style Elric uh, for that'll probably show up on the YouTube version of right. this, but uh, and everybody said. That looks like Alucard from, which I haven't seen, but yeah. no, it, it's, I mean, he's a vampire instead of like Elric's only a metaphorical vampire yeah. because he sucks souls, but it's basically the same idea. Yeah. Um, and I've, there's clearly been characters like that in anime long before this as well, like who are, you know, pale and decadent and kind of uh, well, like glam rock Anime is not that old. Well, it goes back to at least the seventies, right? Yeah, yeah. But Elric's from the sixties. Sixties. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I, okay. I mean, I, I just I I'm oh uh, fairly... Alucard. Sorry, I was confused there. Oh, Alucard. No, no, no. Alucard's one of the more recent ones. But yeah. I'm fairly certain certain there have been characters like that in anime going back, you know, oh, a yeah, decade yeah, or two at least. Uh, so it definitely seems to have had a mark there. there. There's always a character in anime that I've seen that has. Is a tall, skinny guy with white, long white hair. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, like Vicious on Cowboy Bebop or that yeah. sort of thing. I also want to mention, uh, you know, one of my personal favorites is uh, I always, I grew up reading uh, The Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah. And The Sandman is makes sense. Yeah. almost certainly uh, a nod to Elric um, as created. More, uh, Neil Gaiman's literally just gone out and said, yeah, I'm a, an enormous fan of uh, Michael Moorcock. Um, and like he literally wrote a story about how he was when he was a kid he read Moorcock mm-hmm. all the time uh likewise alan moore who is a personal yeah, he friend the, of Moorcock. oh sorry yeah uh he wrote the uh um uh forward to uh the collection that i read alan moore did yeah 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 he's yeah no they they've been friends for i think going back almost to the time when he was writing the elric stories i think those two knew each other certainly since moore became popular in the 80s uh, i think he looked up he literally let uh michael Moorcock write one of his um uh, Tom Strong uh, stories. In, oh yeah, okay. uh, yeah. And uh, of course, he he paid homage to Monsieur Zenith and 
not not noted the resemblance to Elric in one of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen mm, uh, series. And Jerry Cornelius shows up directly in one right. of them. Jerry Cornelius shows up. Yeah, he shows up twice, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a little hard to nail down Jerry Cornelius because he's a very unreliable narrator in his own story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, he, he's he's in there as well. Um, but yeah, they're 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 friends. Uh, there's also this character who I know nothing about. I think Phil, you've read the stories. Driz Duorden. Uh, no, no, I. Okay, there's a there's a Dungeons and Dragons character who has I've a bunch forgotten of realms specifically. I think it's, yeah, forgotten it's realms. A, a setting within Dungeons and Dragons. Right, and he's a, a drow, a dark elf, and I, I know of him. I haven't really read the stories, but yeah, uh, they're me, very popular. Me neither, but he's he, as far as I can tell, he is just Elric again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, different skin color, but apparently <laughs> he's whinier. Idea. I don't know. <laughs> oh, Elric can be pretty whiny. Can but- be, but like apparently this one's more so. so right. I don't know. Yeah, Elric. Elric dev- never goes to the point where you're. It's tiresome <laughs> that yeah, he's yeah. that he's mopey and he's always there's always crazy stuff happening and more and uh, and he's a man of action. So yeah, he does. And the stories are are quick enough pace that it doesn't really dwell on. Right. I mean, they're they're about these themes, but it doesn't hit you over the head with mm-hmm. right. Yeah, no, you're right. It's he wants to bring it up, and Moorcock obviously knows enough that if it would get really annoying, yeah. <laughs> he's constantly moping and mo- and whining. And again, so like I say, he he wrote just to go back a little bit. Uh, so he wrote these stories ending with what became a novel, Stormbringer, uh, in the '60s. It was '64 uh, when it, Stormbringer was completed. Uh, he wrote some other stuff for a while. Then he came back and wrote some more. Uh, 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 Elric novels in the late 60s and 70s, which were of necessity prequels, because as I say, Elric dies at the end of Stormbringer, um, and uh, including the Sleeping Sorceress, and that's where he really gets into the Eternal Champions concept. Uh, if you remember in our Call show, I, I believe we mentioned the fact that Call does show uh, meet up with one of uh, Robert E. Howard's other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, Brand MacMorn, right? Brand MacMorn, yes. And this is before Conan, and you know, you can make a pretty good case that Conan, Brand MacMorn, uh, Call and uh, Solomon Kane, and possibly even Jim Costigan, uh, who is his bo- modern-day adventurer character, who I don't know much about. Uh, they, in many ways, he was writing about kind of the same character in different time periods. Mm. Um, and I think that may have been an inspiration for Moorcock to do the Eternal Champions idea. Um, because, uh, again, he's now explicitly saying, I've got all these different characters in different worlds and different time periods. Uh, they include, let's see, so there's a character called Earl Obeck, who I don't know anything about, Dorian Hawkmoon, uh, Coram Jalen Earsey, Jerry Aconnell, uh, John Dacre, a.k.a. Echaros, and then, of course, Jerry Cornelius. Notice the similarity of names of all those characters, mm-hmm. right? Uh, one of them's literally an anagram of Jerry Cornelius, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So that he was really uh, playing up with the idea that, you know, of this Eternal Champions. He also played up the multiverse idea. Uh, he wasn't the first ever uh, to use the multiverse idea, but he definitely helped popularize it. Yeah, in popular and certainly the term. Yeah, I, 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 I'd like to know. I, I should have checked for sure to see if DC Comics was using the word multiverse before uh, Michael Moorcock. Oh, it would have been around the same time, I think. Yeah, well, the the DC DC Comics introduced the whole alternate world, like Earth uh, Earth Two in the uh, Flash, in, right? Yeah, in in fifty six, I believe. Oh, when okay. The Flash did or fifty seven. Um, so it was it would have predated him by a little, but not much. And they might not have used the term multiverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> to go back and check that. Well, out. Well, I mean, we discuss what Mad Universe, which yeah, exactly. Um, uh, obviously, it's the name oh, of our podcast, but right. um, but that has the it doesn't use the word multiverse, but it um, right. I don't think. But oh uh, yeah, parallel realities definitely yeah. existed before Moorcock. But the idea the the word multiverse, I'm it might li- it, he has a legitimate. I think it claim. was a scientific term. 
uh, before. Really? I don't know. I, I like as a theory. I actually suspect like it's entirely possible Moorcock is the one who created the word. Okay. If not, he was definitely the one who popularized yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's the latter. Because he, it was a huge part in his books. And again, so this, this idea of, and it was in many ways, it was just a practical way of I can write all these different fantasy worlds and tie them together by saying they're all different dimensions and they all, uh, you know, feed into each other. Uh, and so he was doing this at a time and tying in all these stories together. Uh, again, I'd be very surprised if he wasn't inspired by Marvel comics, which of course were doing something similar at the time, but in uh, a less, uh, wildly philosophical way it was just oh the characters all lived in the same universe mm -hmm. and of course dc did that technically before but marvel's the one that really uh, yeah, started yeah, they... making use of it uh, but um they uh anyway so he was a huge um uh, a fan of the multiverse concept and he brought in all these uh tied together characters so as i say we i would like to do a show uh sometime later and we can explore that in a little more depth uh, the Eternal Champions concept, but we're going to have to read a whole bunch of uh, yeah. <laughs> of other Moorcock but, stories uh, to it, really it delve really into it. really comes to head in the Sailor in the Seas of Fate, where uh, four of them actually joined together into right. one being with four heads, so right. that, was, that was interesting. Yeah, the book, yeah, that's right. The book, uh, The Eternal Champion, is where he really okay. went forward with it. So you, and that was about Erikos, who's kind of a, I think, a Conan-type character, and it's about literally a guy remembering a past life mm -hmm. and finding himself to be, or even John Carter-esque. Uh, he goes to another oh, okay. uh, uh, world and... Oh, we haven't discussed... Um, Elric is largely the anti-Conan the Barbarian. Right. Um, and it, like, he's like just the reverse of Conan the Barbarian. Right. Um, where uh, Conan starts off as a peasant and becomes a king. Right. And Elric starts off as a king and right. loses his throne. And, right. Um, and then there's other, you know, his personality well, is basically the opposite. He's, mm -hmm. he's, um, very Although to be, to yeah. be fair, that's true. Like that was the intent. But if you actually do read, uh, some of the original Conan stories, he was a more reflective character than, uh. Yeah. Reflective. He, but at the same time, he was a little more, uh, mm -hmm. sure of him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure of himself. Yeah, he's meant to be opposite personality-wise. Yeah. But anyway, go on. And then he's weak, whereas uh, yeah. Conan's all strong, and he's he's got magic powers, whereas Conan kind of doesn't like magic very much. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, he was he was literally meant to be the opposite of Conan, as originally uh, conceived. Uh, yeah, so, uh, as we said, the world gets destroyed at the end, but by Elric, partially. Mm -hmm. But that's not seen as necessarily a... Or that's actually seen as a good thing. That's what he's trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, because... Um, uh, the world is currently in the stories. It's a prehistorical thing. Right. Uh, like Conan, it takes place before mm -hmm. humanity. But in this case, the world is destroyed and then reformed into what we have today. And the humans that are alive in Elric's time aren't actually humans. They're just precursors. Right. Like Elric's even less human, but uh, the, even the right. regular peasants of the time are... Yeah, the young. It's called the Young Kingdoms. It's Melnibone and the Young Kingdoms because Melnibone mm -hmm. is ancient at that time. And at one point, uh, someone, um, I think it's in Sailors in the Seas of Fate, says, um, "Elric goes, oh, our, our, uh, you know, what, what's going to become of our descendant?" And somebody's like, "History hasn't even started yet. This is all just a prologue." Yeah, and it's referring to that. It's foreshadowing the fact that you know the the world's about to be destroyed in chaos. Although. If I'm not mistaken, Melnibone survives. The world turns into a whole mass of chaos, but Melnibone does not. Yes, get yes, it's not affected. Right. Um, 
So that could so it's po- possible that shows up in some of the other stories that he's done Possibly. as ruins. I'm, I think that was his idea that okay. there would be ruins of of uh, em- Imrir and Melnibene mm-hmm. somewhere. <laughs> but even before story. Elric uh, um, destroys the world completely, it's pretty much gone by that point. He's the last person alive, right? Um, and um, chaos is just reigning completely, right? I can't remember exactly how it goes. Is it it like basically everything becomes big sea of chaos? Yeah, yeah. But people aren't technically dead, right? They're just kind of all merged yeah, but they're not human the, anymore. Yeah, exactly. They're not remotely yeah. human anymore. Right, right. They're monsters and things. Mm-hmm. Like his uh, his wife. Uh, what was his second wife's name? Oh. Or his wife's name? Cripes. I don't have it. Uh, <laughs> well, whatever. She's, yeah, she's name. not that interesting. Zarosnia Z- or something. Yeah. Like that. Oh, yeah. it was something weird. Yeah. But uh, she actually turns into a giant worm slug mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, uh, ends up yeah, he putting spends... herself on his sword to give him strength. So right. yeah, he was fighting to save her from the forces of chaos that kidnapped her, and by the time he saves her, she's been mutated into a giant slug, basically. Yeah. Um. Uh, he also um, uh, I think we mentioned this, but he kills his cousin by accident as right. well in a fit of because he lo- loses control. Yeah. In the first story, it's he's fighting to save Cimmeril from Yurkun and to. You know, to kill Yurkun and bring down the city. But he wanted to save Sumeril, but as he's fighting Yurkun, the sword sort of, of as it does, because it's evil, uh, sort of slips through. He impales Yurkun, and then it goes through him and kills her as well. Mm-hmm. And he drains both of their uh, souls from that. Yeah. Um, and uh, something I thought in, was interesting about the, the stories as a whole, uh, going back to the chaos and law thing, Elric is, uh, and Melnibene in general are beings of chaos, but he right. ends up serving law and creating a, a more ordered universe. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, the sword is also a, a symbol or a, a associated with chaos. Right. Um, at the beginning of the stories, he worships uh, a, a chaos god or a chaos lord called, uh, was it Antioch? Antioch, yeah, yeah, Duke of Hell. Yeah, Duke of Hell. And uh, he eventually actually slays him or, you know, or banishes him back to hell. Right. Basically. So. um, Well, wait a minute. He, he, no, uh, er, he, he kills Arioch? Yeah. Okay. That's one of the, uh, the demon lords that he fights. Oh, right. In sword, in Stormbringer. Right. And then at the end, it's Stormbringer that turns into a being a talking being of some yeah. kind and goes haha so long sucker basically. yeah that's at the very end yeah, yeah. he basically uh, yeah he basically goes you know you th- you thought you were all evil but i was the evil one the whole time so long <laughs> you know takes off yeah but um yeah so the world he creates at the end of the story is basically our world right um so they're they're a precursor to our world and our world is supposedly has some magic in it but isn't ruled by chaos like right like elric says yeah it's it's clearly meant to be like that world couldn't last it had to be kind yeah of re- there, there needs to be a balance basically but it is the as they say antediluvian type world like as uh, it's always implied in in even in like lord of the rings and and conan it's always kind of like oh there was a world uh, this was whole world is before our history, and then there's some kind of cataclysm. Usually, the biblical flood is kind of the inspiration, mm-hmm. is the implication, uh, and then that became our real world because. But there was an, uh, you know, an Atlantis or whatever before. Yeah. That. Well, um, and in Conan, case, I get the idea that that sort of thing happens all the time. Like there's right. civilizations rise, then fall yeah. completely to 
caveman and right. then rise again. Yeah, yeah, he he mentions that explicitly in 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 Conan. And so in uh again with Moorcock. Now he ended up going with other dimensions and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think only Elric is set in our world but in a antediluvian world. Mm-hmm. I think with uh the other characters it would have been oh yeah, it's another dimension or an alternate reality or something like that. Uh but yeah, it's it's um it only El- Elric is definitely meant to be in our world, but there's a cataclysm, and in this case, the cataclysm is chaos taking over the entire world and mushing everything together, and then and then Elric everything destroying over. it. Yeah, exactly. Which means it could literally be like millions and millions of years ago. If well, I'm yeah, not it actually says uh, the um, uh, humans will devolve and then have to re-evolve again. Right. Which is, I mean, chaos has destroyed everything on Earth, basically, at yeah. that point. So, essentially, life would have had... This could have literally been billions of years before yep. life was formed on on uh, on Earth at that point. Yeah, I, don't I thought know. that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, But it, but it, you can see how he's using kind of the ideas of the old pulp fantasies, and he's taking them in a new, trippy, psychedelic direction, yeah. basically. Um, anyway, um, so I think it's uh, time to wrap up the show. Uh, so let's, uh, I just remind everyone that both Phil and I have a Patreon. Uh, if you... Or Patreons. We have Patreons, uh, plural. Uh, so if you subscribe to either of our Patreons, you will get to hear the show a week early. So why not do that? And meanwhile, you'll be helping support the show. Um, uh, I do have another podcast called Destroy All Clickbait, uh, uh, which you can look up on on YouTube. And Phil, you've got a show on YouTube, right? Uh, you can follow us both on Twitter. I'm a Prankster36, and Phil is Spear Hafok, H-A-F-O-C underscore. Yeah. Uh, because somebody else took Spear Hafok as it is. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a real person's name from, from uh, history, but exactly. Um, so yes. I don't know. And uh, we both have comics on Comicsology. Phil has Undeath and the Apex Society, uh, along with. Oh, uh, Undeath is part of the Apex Society. Right. It's a spin-off. Um, Apex Society. Um, Lucian's True History Right um, And Halloween Girl Halloween Girl Yep And I've got uh, Lemuria And uh, Strange Romance Which I edit Anyway You can check all that out On Comixology Elric's world Is eventually destroyed By chaos These days It sometimes seems like We might suffer The same fate But hope never dies And neither does The eternal champion We'll see you In another life Or next week Or next week